It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Dr. Jeremy Grinnell, Dr. J with us answering Bible questions. Dr. Jeremy has his PhD in systematic theology from Calvin, taught at Cornerstone for a number of years and and getting ready to do some more Bible teaching as well. So glad to have him with us. You can check out his story at bellowingofcain.com. Great redemption story in Jeremy's life as well. Bellowing bellowingofcain.com. Man, I tell you what, if there was if we could eliminate evil from the world. Wouldn't that be nice? It'd be lovely. So here's a question in that vein. Why did God create Satan if he knew what he was going to do, what he's doing? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, the straightforward—well, the first, of course, answer is, I don't know. Scriptures don't don't reveal that the question exactly. But, I mean, you certainly have a parallel question. Given what God knew I was going to do, why did God make me, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, these are things, why does God make— why does God make creatures who have within them the possibility of going wrong? Right. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And I think Thomas Aquinas, the, the great medieval theologian, actually made a very interesting comment to this effect that I, I think makes sense to me and I think works. And if God is the only one who is unchangeable and incapable of failure, then what it means is for God to create anything or anything mm-hmm. that is a creature by definition is finite and by definition has the logical possibility of failure built in, not the necessity, nothing forces Satan to go bad any more than nothing forces Adam and Eve to go bad or nothing forces me to go bad. But the logical possibility of that breakage is built into being a finite creature. Uh, Like a a man riding a bicycle down a straight level road, there's no reason he should fall off his bicycle. In fact, you might even say the pressure is that he'll stay on, right? I mean, falling off a bicycle once you learn how isn't exactly easy, but nothing prevents him from doing so. Mm -hmm. So the idea that God should create Satan Satan, um, and then Satan to go bad doesn't necessarily is isn't the sort of thing you necessarily lay at God's feet in terms of blame. I mean, if you if you're going to talk about creatures, whether they be angelic or human, being able to engage in meaningful choice, then what you can't have is God sort of stepping in every minute and un, unrolling that choice. Uh, mm-hmm. So Satan goes bad, God simply reverses it. Adam and Eve bite the apple, God simply reverses it. I mean, where does that end? Right. If you're going to have meaningful choice, if God wants a world where that happens, then that logical possibility of things failing might happen. Yeah, and every and all of those things, all of the the places that I've failed, God has turned and used for good. I and, mean, there's purpose in and it. That it's is not ex- accidental. It's not like, ah, how do I figure this out? And that's exactly how Paul treats it. Paul, without disregarding at all the tragedy of Eden, the real genuine loss— that humanity experiences, all the, the horrors that we see in the world now because of that choice in Eden. And yet Paul says God did something greater, not despite it, but through it, mm-hmm. that by then this became a redemption story uh, by means of God bringing a Messiah and redeeming the world. And a redemption story is very different than a story where nothing goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And don't mishear me. Both of those are good stories. God could tell either story legitimately. Mm-hmm. For all we know, God has told that story in other realms, in other places. I don't know. In this realm, this is a story of redemption. Now, how that matches up with God's eternal plan, Christian denominations argue about because it's something, I mean, it's in the mind of God. Mm-hmm. So we guess, we suppose. But at the end of the day, you, you, you put your finger right on the key point. When bad happens, when things go sideways, 
God is very strong and capable at redeeming and restoring. And that's what is not only the story of my life and your life, but that's the story of human history, God's acts of redemption in the face of all of our failures. It's helpful for me to go back to God himself before anything existed. So you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing. Mm -hmm. In eternal community. Yep. Yeah, and freely loving one another, choosing freely to love one another. Yep. And so we're created in the image of God to freely choose to love. But it's not love if we don't have the choice. Mm. Right? Yep. And so it, 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 that's it right there. God is the only perfect one who freely chooses right all the time. And we obviously haven't. And, you know, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And there, there's and there's the conundrum that somehow God knew and planned this as a redemption story right from the beginning, and yet angelic or human, which whoever you're talking about, the ability to make, engage, significant choice still exists. And there's mystery there. And again, Christian theologians throughout time have wrestled with how to resolve that, that struggle between divine sovereignty and human freedom. And any church you go to on Sunday that has a denominational bent or something, they will have an answer somewhere to it. But, but at the end of the day, the really the the point really is that God restores and redeems. It's not too far off from God choosing Judas, right? Exactly to be a disciple. God like, hardening Pharaoh's heart. Invest in him. Yep. Yeah. God, God telling Israel that the consequence of their of their rebellion will be the exile. Even though God could have prevented that. God didn't have to let Assyria or Babylon come in. But if humans are going to engage in certain things, these are certain choices, these are the consequences, and God honors that, but also provides a way of redemption. Yep. And that's simply the story we're in. If we desire a different story or a different world, that's wonderful. Go write fantasy fiction mm -hmm. and publish it. But the story we are in is a story of loss, created goodness, loss, and restoration. Mm. And we should celebrate that because what's happening at the, at the grand scheme of history is also happening in the heart of every single Christian. So Chris has texted in and Chris says, asks, how do you show love to someone who treats you as if you don't exist? <laughs> and second, how do you pray for someone who treats you as if you don't exist? Who said that? <laughs> no, um, it, no this, this, that's a really tough question. It's as much a pastoral question as a theological question. Um, because when you talk about a person who acts as if you don't exist, what we're talking about, I, I think, is a, a person who mistreats you mm -hmm. uh, in one form or another. A person who does not uh, acknowledge your, your personhood. Uh, the fact that you're an image bearer, what do you do for that? And that's, I mean, there are no good answers. I mean, there are no easy answers to that. The Christian answers are fairly clear. You, know, you pray for those who despitefully use you, those who persecute you. Uh, Jesus says lots about forgiveness and not the event, but the long journey that forgiveness mm -hmm. often is and things like that. I, I think one helpful to distinction, if you're talking about, and it sounds like what Chris is talking about here is a person that... Um, who doesn't acknowledge him, but that he still acknowledges yeah. in his life. So how do you, you know, what do you pray for, for a person for whom you care deeply about, but does not uh, reciprocate? And I think there's a helpful distinction between what might be called need love and gift love. Need love is the kind of love that we give because we get something out of it. 
you know, it's the kind of, you know, it's the kind of thing the cow, you know, the cows make noises because they want to be milked, but it's in their own best interest for that to take place, right? Mm -hmm. They get something out of that act. Um, And so when you pray for a person like that, I think it's helpful to distinguish between need love versus gift love because need love, am I praying for this person because of what I, for what I want out of them? Like that they will respond to me or change or do something like that. Or am I praying in terms of gift love, which is the kind of love God has, Mm -hmm. agape love, the love that is simply love, praying for what is best for them, what Mm -hmm. would cause this person to flourish and grow. And I realize that's unsatisfying in the the sense of like, what am I going to get out of this? But that's a fear-driven response, right? If my needs aren't going to get cared for, I'm not going to get what I need. That's all fear. And if there's one thing we know about God is God is not the God of fear. God comes to us in the midst of that. And it's remarkable that when we begin to seek to give people gift love instead of simply respond from need love, that God meets us in the difference mm-hmm. and we discover that we are being given what we what we really needed, not what we thought we needed. And, you know, God, God's lo- God is provision too, right? Mm-hmm. And so all that we need, that we long, that we seek to find in other relationships and in people, God provides. Yes, God is faithful to do that, but we don't, I mean, I want to be, I'm, I'm with Chris in this. We do also want to acknowledge the loss. Right. God is faithful to fill in the gaps that other people were supposed to, mm. right? So we have to acknowledge that. Okay, Stephanie has this question for you from Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Can you talk about these verses? What's the difference between falling away and wandering away? Jesus leaves the 99 to search for the one missing. Thanks for your insights. Sure. Well, I, obviously you need to, the passage a little bit, so let me read it real quick here. Yeah. Uh, says the writer of Hebrews, uh, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance for their loss. They are crucifying the son of God all over again and subjecting him to public shame. Yeah, that's a, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty harsh passage when you think of it. Um, and there's a couple of thoughts that need to be said here because I'm not sure the distinction between falling and wandering would have been something that the writer of Hebrews was actually trying to be precise. To? Yeah, he's not trying to be precise about that. I think it's very helpful. Uh, C.S. Lewis makes this distinction in many places in his book, Miracles and Other Things. When it talks about impossibility, you have to talk about absolute impossibility versus relative impossibility. An absolute impossibility is something that would make no sense in any possible world, like a square circle. Like it would be impossible in the sense to what would reality have to be to have a square circle or an unmarried bachelor? It's almost it's impossible kind of on the face of it. A relative impossibility is something that can be followed with unless this Mm. is impossible unless Mm. like it is impossible for me to see what's going on right now outside my building unless I step to the window, mm-hmm. right? Mm. The writer of Hebrews here seems to be, in my humble opinion, yeah. offering us a relative impossibility, meaning that, you know, if you've committed yourself and walked with Jesus for a long time and then for whatever reason, whatever happened in life, and you throw up your hands and walk away, that does leave you in a much more difficult position than a person who, say, never heard the gospel at all. Because now you have, you know, you've created an almost settled disposition of resistance against God which leaves you in a much more desperate condition. I mean, how would a person come back from that? It would. It does seem impossible. Impossible in the same way Jesus talks about the impossibility of the camel going through the eye of the needle. It's just how, this, how, would it, how could it ever happen? Mm. And remember how Jesus ends that little pericope yeah. with the disciples after they're like, well, who then can be saved? Right. And what does Jesus say? Sure, yeah, if it rests on the shoulders of men, 
You're right. It's impossible. But with God, Mm -hmm. impossible things do become possible. Not absolutely impossible things. I don't know what it means for God himself to make us a square circle or an unmarried bachelor. That's a that's an absolute impossibility. But God is very good at making these relative and God is very good at the unless. Mm. You know, it is impossible for you to come back to the faith unless. But God does the unless mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's really a statement about God's power and God's faithfulness. And I think the real point at the end is like wherever you are, wherever you've gone, however far away you've walked, there is a way back with this God. Mm-hmm. There is always a new beginning and a new tomorrow. And it's really, I think it's really important to understand the context of the book of Hebrews. It was written to Hebrew Christians, mm-hmm. and they were considering moving away from yeah. the faith in Jesus and going back to the temple, going back to the sacrifices. Yep. And so the writer was saying, if you go back to that... Boy, that's a hot... How, how would you ever... Yeah, you'd yeah, have to come yeah. out of Judaism again. And right. who, who has whose life is long enough to manage that kind of Right. He was saying if you go back to that, you are you are rejecting the only sacrifice that's left for sin, which is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying if you reject Jesus, then there's there's no impossibility of being saved because he's the only way to be saved. But I love what you say here that God does the impossible. And I think he says later in this passage that I have better things in mind about you. Mm-hmm. you know? Yes. So, yeah, I think, I don't know if it's... Yeah, so the, I, I think the really, for, for Stephanie, the point is don't despair. God is very good at, at bringing about the impossible. Mm-hmm. So that person that you know that's walked away or who feels unreachable and totally lost, uh, that's exactly the sheep that Jesus is after. Mm, that's good news. I mean, we cannot be in relationship with a holy God. How could someone like me, how could someone sinful and earthy be in a relationship with a holy God? Unless. Unless. Unless Jesus. And I think it's important to realize that the only unforgivable sin is rejecting the forgiveness of Jesus. Which is there by terms. That's not God being mean. It's just if you refuse to eat the food that's edible, what choice have you made but to starve? All right, so here's a question from Ron. And Ron asks... Do the current Jews recognize all of our Old Testament as Holy Scripture? If so, what do they think about the suffering servant aspect of the Messiah as depicted in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and other scriptures, etc.? Sure. Well, there's a number of moving parts there. The, the, the first one, that modern Judaism, to my understanding, does embrace what we would call the Old Testament, kind of the full of it as as their scriptures. Uh, Judaism has always had a very different view of like inspiration than Christianity has. So they they handle that very differently uh, because they don't, for them, the canon is not closed in the same way it is for us. I mean, the the rabbinic commentaries and the Mishnah and all those kind of things are also all included in their, the, the, the conversation in ways that Christianity often does not have. Uh, but in terms of the suffering servant, uh, in truth, I'm not sure how modern Judaism tackles the suffering servant passages given um, 
that modern Judaism is still waiting for its Messiah. Mm-hmm. But I can offer this, intertestamental Judaism, the, the ancient Jews who lived between what we would call the Old and New Testament there in that time, those commentators looked at the suffering servant and recognized that they, they were able to recognize that the Messiah, who they didn't think was divine, they, they thought would just be you know, a great man from the line of David, um, that he would suffer at the hands of the powers that be, they were very comfortable with. Now, they thought he would push through that and become the great hero and liberate the lands and things like that, which Christianity, of course, pushes more toward the end times with the return of Christ. That's when he will come as the conquering hero. But the Judaism, at least in that day, was still looking for um, a Messiah that would conquer. So the suffering aspect, um, if they understood it at all, was simply as part of the process. He will, like the hero's journey, he will go through the troughs of suffering and then Rome will be kicked out, which is why the disciples were able to, who of course were first century Jews, were able to hang with Jesus a little bit when he talked about the hard times that were coming. It was just when he talked about like, by the way, I'm going to the cross to die, that they'd get the blank look on their faces and say, sure. what? That Because for them, there's no coming back from death. Mm-hmm. If you're supposed to push through the hard times and kick Romart out, they could do with that, which is why they're always asking him, when is the kingdom coming? Are now you ready to reveal yourself? Uh, the death of the Messiah and the resurrection, they, they did not see uh, mm-hmm. really at all. You really have to, once you embrace Jesus as Messiah, much of the Old Testament opens up. You, you begin to see things. But as long as you stand on the outside resisting, things just never become clear. And that's a very ancient principle. Anselm, the, the great theologian Anselm, uh, it's called the fides, the uh, faith precedes understanding. There are things in life yeah. you have to believe before you can understand. Mm-hmm. It's not like you hang around and once you get enough facts, then, you, then I'll believe. There are some important things that work the opposite. Mm-hmm. You commit yourself to them. You sit down in the chair and in the act of sitting, things become clear. And the suffering servant... For the Messiah is one of those things. Well, Paul, who was one of those haters of Jesus, mm-hmm. who became a follower of Jesus, talks about in one of his books, uh, one of the Corinthian books, that whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. That's a yes. And they see. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But you know what? When you're talking about how they, their expectations of God were so small compared to what he was going to do. So, you know, to, yeah, to come and take over and rule in Rome, you know, and have this huge victory, it was so small in comparison to what he was accomplishing. And I, I can a, relate to that. It's a cautionary tale for us. I yeah. can relate to that because I feel like oftentimes my expectations are just around, man, if you could just make my circumstances the way that I want my circumstances to be, which is super, super small compared to what God is doing mm-hmm. in the big scheme of things. Yeah, when Paul talks about God working all things, I mean, you, in, there is a sense that maybe you shouldn't think this way, but there is a sense that when we say all things, we mean all things. And that's bigger than just your and my life concerns. I mean, there's a whole world, nations, histories out there that God is weaving all together mm. to tell this grand story of redemption until every tribe, language, kindred, and people, you know, have come to know. I mean, there's, there are great things going on that mm. at times are, are in conflict with my comfort and my mm. prosperity. Mm. And we, in a sense, God, I I free your hands, so to speak, to go do what needs to be done in the world to bring justice. And if that means I suffer a little bit, okay, that's, that's part of my journey. So God is so good. He's so kind. I mean, honestly, he's a good dad. He just lovingly will bring up stuff that needs to be addressed in our lives. And that's not to shame us. He just loves you and he wants to help us to grow. He wants us to become who he made us to be. So there's this thing, this difficulty in my life, a hardship, if you will, and it doesn't seem to be resolving itself. 
and I have prayed and I have tried to do things differently. I have hit it head on. I've exhausted all my resources. I've sought some wisdom from other people. I have complained. What? I've complained. And I've complained. So, yeah, I'm sitting with the Lord a few weeks ago. I've got my Bible. I got my journal. I got my coffee. It's nice and quiet. And I open up my Bible and I read this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. What? Overflowing with thankfulness? Me? Not so much. That's from Colossians 2, 6, and 7, by the way. I knew instantly that this was from God, and it was for me, definitely. So I apologized to the Lord for my complaining, and then I immediately started just thanking him for all the good. And you know what? There was even some good in the circumstance that I could be grateful for without complaining about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I chose to focus on what was good and I, I didn't even have to make stuff up. There really was genuine things there that I could be grateful for even in the circumstance. Do you remember how grateful you were for the love of God when you first heard about it? When you first discovered this incredible love that Jesus has for you and what he did for you, the lengths that he went to, even though he prayed, you know, in the garden, God, if there's another way, please take this from me. He pursued, he went through, he was perfectly obedient and he paid the price for you and me for our sins. That initial, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful. Like, I can't believe you did that for me. That's how we're to live every single day. I remember it was after recess and I had, received Jesus on the playground. And I remember being in Mrs. Burr's classroom. I remember exactly where I was sitting, looking up at the blackboard for some reason and thinking, I know I'm going to heaven. Mm. I know. And there was just joy in my heart. And that's what needs to be overflowing even now. Right. I mean, because it's just as true that what what captured you in that moment yeah. is just as true today as it was the day that you first realized it. Come on. I mean, when we go to that place and we allow that, think about it. Think about the moment that Mm -hmm. you gave your life to Jesus, the moment that you came alive to everything that he is and all that he's done for you and his perfect, always unconditional love for you. What stirred in your heart in that moment, if we can live from that place, I think that is really, that is how to embody this passage in Mm -hmm. Colossians. That's That's a great insight. It's You've done it for me just now. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So then, here it is. Here's the passage again. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. This fits so perfectly into the no complaining challenge that we're doing right now. No complaining November. So we haven't talked about it in a few days, but I put out a challenge at the beginning of the month to not complain from now through the end of the month, just as a way of getting our hearts ready for Thanksgiving. Yeah, we're going to talk about, yes, I'm thankful for my my family and my car and my church and my house and my job. And, you know, we're going to we're going to be thinking about the things that we're grateful for. By the way, I think I complained yesterday, and I think it was captured on a recording. Oh, really? And I'll share that a little bit later. Okay. I did some complaining this week myself. I did. I caught myself 
in a situation. You know what? Here's the thing. I'm not trying to split hairs, but I was questioning whether I was just reporting the facts or I was (laughs) actually complaining. I was checking myself a little bit. Yeah. What I want to share is up for judgment. Okay. You guys can, can, you know, make an thumbs up it or thumbs down. You can evaluate me. Okay. Well, my encouragement to you, it's not too late to join the challenge. If you want to jump on board with us, we got a text from Wendy this morning and she was like, ugh, (laughs) I'm wrestling with the challenge. But here's the thing. As we step into the challenge of not complaining for the entire month of November, yeah, there's going to be times when we complain, Perry, you know, like you did, like I did, maybe, I don't know. We'll we'll evaluate it and figure it out. We will. But there are going to be times that we do, but I think there's going to be a whole lot more times when we stop. And so it's not about perfection. It's about pursuit, right? right? right. If there are a few moments this month that you are about ready to start griping and you stop and you don't do it, praise. That's a win right there. It's not about sinless perfection. Come on. It's about a righteous direction. There you go. So I challenge you, if you're not on board with us yet, if you are on board, you probably are resonating with everything I'm saying. Keep going, my friend. Keep going. And if you're not on board yet, text us this morning, just as your way of saying, I'm committing to being a part of the challenge. I, too, am going to join in not complaining for the entire month of November. Wow. You got this. We can do this. We'll do it together. Okay, so it's no complaining November. Yes, it is. Maybe you can set this up again for a show. All right, so I've been doing this for three years now. We've been putting out a challenge for you to join us in not complaining for the month of November. Just every time you feel like you're going to gripe about something, use your, you know, the the spiritual fruit of self-control and just kind of put a stop on it and don't Mm -hmm. complain and instead give thanks to God. Yeah, so yesterday I had a, a video appointment with my cardiac, cardiac, cardiologist. cardiologist. Thank yep. you. Cardiologist. And so we set it up for like 10, 15 because we had an interview at, we, we recorded an interview at nine 30 and I knew I'd be tied up then. Mm-hmm. So it was very clear. He'll call between 10, 15 and noon. So we're doing the interview and I get this text, you know, the doctor's ready for you right now. And it's, and it's not 10 15. It's like 9 40. Yeah. So it was a bit distracting and frustrating and all. And so finally we got through the interview. It went fine, but it was a bit distracting and frustrating. And, and so the, the recorder continued to roll and I began to tell you guys about what was going on. Do you remember that? Yes. I didn't realize the recorder was still going. This is going to be fun. <laughs> so... I'm wondering if I was complaining or if I get a pass here. Okay. You know, you can evaluate it and we'll give you the number to text into for you to evaluate. But here goes. I am so frustrated with the doctor. So I told them, you know, ten fifteen, between ten fifteen and noon. <laughs> and they're calling me and saying, The doctor's ready right now. The doctor's ready. Oh no. And it was it while was it was communicated several times. Ooh. That several times sounded a bit <laughs> like putting a knife in somebody, but that was real. That was me. And so I'm wondering, it, was it just, I was just kind of stating the facts or was it grumbling? Was it complaining? It doesn't feel like a very good look for me. 
I'm thinking about I'm thinking about what transpired after the after what you just played for us. Right. So if we're just talking about what you just played for us, sure. Then I would say you were stating the facts and responding to what just happened. But after that, after that, you called the doctor back and you got a little sassy. Did I? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before you even picked up the phone, you go, "Lord, give me the patience. <laughs> Help me, Lord." You, you, when you called the doctor's office, you were like. I told you that I was not going to be available. So there was, um, yeah, I would, I would, I would say, you know. Well, it's not about perfection, right? No, it's not about perfection. I would say keep going, Perry. Keep pursuing the no complaining challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving forward. All right. All right. I, I've had moments. I, there's no shade though at all because I definitely have been there this week. I'm telling you. Yeah, I've been there myself, and so I'm not throwing any shade at you. Okay, so do you want to hear it again, or should we move on? What did you think, Ben? You didn't say your opinion. Uh, you know, I think it was a little bit of grumbling. Yeah. Uh, certainly, uh, as Shauna already said, moving away from that into what else transpired that morning, it definitely probably tiptoed the line of complaining. But I'm, overall, I think it, I, you know, I think it was a valid complaint. Sure. But at the same time, it was a complaint. <laughs> All right, so you let me know what you think. 800-968-8930. Was it complaining? If it is, so be it. It is what it is. I'm going to move forward. 800-968-8930. And join the challenge. Yes, join the challenge if you and want. And record yourself all the time <laughs> and send it to us. We'll send put it, it on to the, the jury. Right. And we will determine whether it's complaining or not. Just text the word challenge to 800-968-8930 to join the no complaining November challenge. And yeah, you don't have to display for the world any of the moments that you think are, you know, up for debate. But do text the word challenge to 800-968-8930. And Perry. Yeah. It's all grace, bro. Yeah, man. It's all grace. Yeah. I'm going forward. I'm going for it today. Keep going. I'm going to call that doctor. Thanks for letting Perry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.